0: So recently on TikTok, I'm not a big fan, but I kind of follow a little bit of what's going on there. Familiar with it, it's a social media platform popular with younger people. And now I know we all have different definitions of what younger people are. As you get older, like younger becomes older too. But by younger, I mean like 25 and under. So, Um, and so on TikTok, there were two young girls sitting in a car And they were talking about this mantra, this thing that they said, like, that everything will work out for me. And it became a popular viral thing and became a hashtag. Another way of tagging videos is called lucky girl syndrome. Hashtag lucky girl syndrome. And it was this idea that if you believe and say things will work out, they will. You know, that if you just have this positive attitude that things will be good for you, that it'll cause it to happen. Now, this isn't something new. TikTok didn't invent this idea. It's been around for a long time. This idea of positive, the power of positive thinking was something. But this idea has been a trending thing. And sometimes we have similar ideas in Christianity. That everything's going to just work out for us. The problem is, what about when they don't? Because as we all know, we can wish for a lot of good things to happen. We can have a lot of positive thinking. But most of us still experience trials, tribulations, troubles. In fact, the Bible says that's going to happen. The Bible doesn't promise us that we won't have that. We've been reading through the book of Romans, and Paul has said it earlier just in the book of Romans, that suffering is a part of this life. Suffering is part of our joining with Jesus. And so in Romans chapter 8 today, where we'll be finishing up the end of chapter 8, kind of continuing our series through the book of Romans, we're going to be celebrating something then, hashtag lucky girl syndrome. We're going to be thinking about what it is that God does in the midst of trials and troubles. And so think about where we've been in the book of Romans. So we've been studying Paul's letter to the Romans. Paul was an earlier follower of Jesus, and so shortly after the death of Jesus, he began traveling around the Mediterranean, planting churches, and then he also communicated with them through letters. The Church of Rome was not one he had started, but he was communicating to them and writing to them to help them through some troubles they were going through, but also to communicate to them about the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is. And so he writes this letter to them, which we call the Book of Romans or the Letter to the Romans. And he talks and he begins by talking about the gospel or the good news as the power of God for salvation and what that looks like, that in Jesus God is working powerfully to save us. And he talks about in the next couple chapters about what we're being saved from, the consequences and the power of sin. These things we do, the way we choose our way over God's way, the way we decide to be in charge instead of letting God be in charge. And then he comes back and says, this is what salvation looks like. It comes in and through Jesus. Then in and through Jesus sacrifice on the cross, God justifies us. And by this word justifies, he means not only he declares us innocent, but he begins to make us right. It's a verdict, as one person says. It's a deliverance and it's a verdict of the way it's done. And it's a gift to us. And that's this word grace. Grace simply means gift. It's a gift given to us that we receive by faith or believing allegiance to him. And then that's kind of the chapters one through four, five through eight, he begins to explain, to elaborate on justification. And really, justification is about life. We move from being enemies of God to being friends of God. We're reconciled. We're free from sin and we're under grace. We move from death to life, from slavery to sin, to slavery to righteousness, death in the flesh, to life in the spirit. And it's this powerful thing, all these things that God is doing and has done through Jesus and will do through Jesus. And he's building up to this thing, and it brings us up to this conclusion here at the end of chapter 8, or what we call chapter 8, recognizing, again, when Paul wrote it, he didn't put chapters and verses in, but he's writing this letter, and it's being read to this congregation in Rome, and they're hearing all these great words of all that God has done. And then he begins what we call the start of verse 31. He says, what then shall we say in response to these things? It's just the first part of the verse. What shall we say in response to these things? And I think by these things, he means everything that's come before it. Maybe just chapters 5 through 8, but all this stuff he's saying. You've heard all this incredible good news. You've heard all this stuff that God has done and is doing. How God has delivered you from death to life. How he's declared you innocent. How he's moving you from slavery to sin, to slavery, to righteousness, how the spirit is working in you, how you've been declared the children of God. What do we say to this? And it's kind of like, tell us, Paul, what do we do? What do we do, Paul? And he expands it and he goes with four questions that he kind of asks. And he, this is kind of his rhetorical style of saying, okay, what, what do we say? And he begins to ask some questions. And so in 831, what shall we say then in response to these things? If God is for us, I mean, that's his first question. If God is for us, who can be against us? In other words, if God is on our side, if God is working for us, and we know this in many different ways. We know it through Jesus. So in Romans 8, 32, he says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also give it, How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? And so he's saying, if God did that, if God is on our side, if he's demonstrated this grace to us, if he's given to us, if he's doing all that we just read about this life and this freedom and this forgiveness, if that God is on our side, if this God that we've been hearing about for these last eight chapters, if that God is on our side, who can be against us? I mean, it doesn't mean that no one's going to oppose us because Paul goes on later and talks about it and Paul spent his whole life being opposed by people. But the point is, None of these things can stand in the way. And that's kind of what he's asking. He's like, if that God is for us, if the God who can rescue us from slavery to sin, if the God who can deliver us from the power of death, if the God who can overcome the power of Satan, if that God is on our side, then who's going to stand against us? Who can oppose that? His point is, none of that. None of that can do it. And then he goes on and kind of continues this same thing. And he says, He says, Who will bring any charges against those whom God has chosen? What is God who justifies? In other words, who's going to charge you and call you guilty? Well, the point is, when we sin, who's our sin against? It's against God. Primarily, we sin against our neighbor, but ultimately, it's a sin against God. Well, if our sin is against God, and He's the one who justifies and declares us innocent and righteous, if He's done that, well... No one else can bring charges against us because he's the one who's the judge. And he kind of goes on with a similar question in verse 34. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us in verse 34. In other words, no one can condemn us. That was the start of chapter 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Why? Because Jesus died for our sins. We can't be condemned because he died for our sins and we're forgiven. Not only that, Paul goes on, he says, we were raised to life. And not only that, Jesus is praying for us. So Paul's building up this whole thing. He said, what can we say? And he's kind of offering up, well, people might say, well, somebody can condemn us or somebody can accuse us. He's saying, no, you can't do that. And then he kind of continues on and he's really asking about the idea of bad things happening to us. He's not saying we won't have feelings of guilt or anything but he's saying if god is for us and at the core that nothing you have done seen heard or experienced can cause god to stop loving you and he does it with this big question that kind of the others have led up to so i said four questions and i kind of move quickly through those first three but he ends with this key question that he's kind of built up to and the question is who shall separate us from the love of christ in other words if god loves you that much Is there something that can cause that love to fail? Is there something that can cause that love to break? Is there something that can tear us apart from that love? And I hope at this point, having heard all this stuff, we're starting to get the idea that the answer is nothing. Interesting thing is we think often of the Bible as talking about the love of God. Paul doesn't talk in the... Letter to the Romans, much about the love of God. At least not in that terminology. In fact, the word love only shows up two more times prior to chapter 8. Back in Romans chapter 5, he talks about the love of God being poured out into us by the Spirit. And he also says, this is how God demonstrates his love for us. Then in Christ Jesus, he died for us. But what he does is he says, well, is there something that can separate us from the love of God? And he does it again with kind of these questions. He says, well, shall trouble? Hardship? what, What about persecution? Or famine? Or nakedness? Or danger? Or sword? And He's calling to mind the kind of things that the Roman church would have suffered from. So we have to remember this early church, these early gathered believers of Jesus, they didn't live at the top of society. They were often outcasts. And during various times through their early times of belief, they were persecuted And not only the direct persecution of the government, but because of the way their society was structured, that sometimes they would be ostracized by family, it might make their business dealings difficult, all kinds of things are going on. And so Paul's saying, well, can that separate us from the love of God? Can these things like hard trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, which are all things they would have experienced? And all things that they, in this sense of experiencing, they might start to wonder, does God really care about me? It's the kind of questions we might ask at times when we're going through hard times. And I know having been with people for 20 plus years of ministry and stuff, that sometimes there's a couple different things going on because there's what we know up here and what we feel down here. And sometimes the things we don't acknowledge... People going through hard times. And I've been with people and I I know I've experienced the same thing myself Was where I'm saying, I know God still loves me. But sometimes I think I'm saying that because I know that's true. And I know I'm supposed to believe that. But deep down, I'm kind of wondering about it. Because I'm saying, well, but if God really loves me, why is all this bad stuff happening? Or maybe we start to wonder, well, if maybe... It's because I messed up. And so God's punishing me now. And so we're starting to wonder and question about what is going on. And he's saying, this is the kind of things we feel. This isn't lucky girl syndrome. The Roman church is not going viral on TikTok saying, look, God is great all the time. They're being fired from their job. They're, they're losing their jobs. They're being persecuted. They're being put to death. And they're going on through these things. And then Paul Quotes from the Old Testament, from the book of Psalms. He says, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep uh, sheep to be slaughtered. So he's, he's quoting Psalm 44. And in Psalm 44, it's this lament. But in Psalm 44, he talks, earlier in the psalm, the writer talks about how we've not forgotten you or broken your covenant. They're portraying themselves as, we've, God, we've done what you've asked us to do. But we're still going through hard times. And the truth is, this has always been the way for God's people. That doing what God asks us to do doesn't guarantee everything's going to turn out okay. At least not in this earth. We're going to go through problems. That our faithfulness does not do away with problems. And so one of the resources I like is an organization called Voice of the Martyrs. And it's an organization that looks at persecution in the church around the world, and it looks at how people who are faithful to Jesus are still going through hard times. Being imprisoned, being beaten, being executed, being kicked out of their families, out of their community, out of their society and stuff. In every case, because they're being faithful to Jesus. Saw a video not too long ago, this pastor, and he was out and he just—he was coming out of his little church building and there were just men waiting out in the street with these long sticks and they were just hitting him and hitting him again. What had he done? Believed in Jesus and was talking about Jesus. He was going through hardship. He was going through suffering. He was going through persecution. He was going through all these things. Not because God didn't love him, but because he was being faithful. And so Paul is kind of setting up this thing. He's saying, when he's asked the question, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? He's saying it's not persecution or famine or hardship or sword, not those things. Because that's always been the way of God's people. But then he kind of builds it up and he says, no, in all these things, Romans eight thirty-seven, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In all these things, in other words, Hardship, trouble, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. Here said, we are more than conquerors. I like some of the different translations for this. We are super conquerors. I mean, it's it's this unique word he uses, or one translation says, We win a sweep, sweeping victory, or we overwhelmingly conquer. In other words, we don't just conquer, we super conquer. We mega conquer. We're like massive conquer. We're, we're going beyond conquering. We're not just overcoming those things. We're going even farther. And he says, but then he says, we are more than conquerors, not because, why, not because we're super powerful, not because we're super faithful, but how? Through him who loved us. That's how we get through those hard times. That's how we become super conquerors. That's what we need to have t-shirts, right? Super conqueror. I am a super conqueror. And so it's we're saying, when say, then he goes on to say, he kind of paints, he says, we're more than conquerors. And then he, he kind of asks again, he says, okay, we've talked about some things that are big things, but what about if we go to the cosmic level? And he goes on, he says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I mean, some of what Paul is talking about to the Roman church may seem distant to us. I mean, I look at some of that stuff and I think, I'm not really dealing with the sword. No one's going to kill me right now for my faith. Famine? No. Plenty of food to go around. Not really dealing with that. Not really dealing with persecution. Some troubles and hardships, but I kind of wonder what do I really have anything to experience like what Paul is talking about? I think he's offering words that brought comfort to them, but how do they offer comfort to us? Because sometimes, for me, that just seems distant. Think, well, I have my troubles and hardships, but what does that look like? And one of the things that I've found helpful to think about is like, sometimes when we think about what can separate us from the love of God or we experience things that separate us from God's love, it's not something that's outside, but it's something that's inside. Something we sometimes create the conditions that cause us to experience or feel a sense of separation from God's love. Now, we are not in fact separated, but we can feel that. And what that looks like sometimes is the way we feel about ourselves. Maybe you've experienced this. You're going through a week, and you look back on your week, and you think, wow, I had a rough week. Not necessarily in terms of the things that happened to you, but maybe you're disappointed with the way you acted. You look back, and you think, oh, there was that conversation, and I was listening to that person, and they said something, and I just said something really mean and cruel to them. Oh, there was that other time where I was talking to someone, and and they were going through a hard time, and I really didn't show a whole lot of compassion to what was happening in their life. Oh, there was that person who was experiencing that, and I wasn't able to empathize with them. I didn't love that person very well. And we can start to look back on our life, especially the longer we follow Jesus. Hopefully we're feeling like we're growing more like Jesus. Jesus. Maybe we're setting higher standards for ourselves, and maybe this is just my personality, but I kind of set these standards for myself, and then when I miss them, when I don't live up to them, I kind of start to feel bad about myself. I experience these two different things, and there's two different things that we sometimes experience. There's guilt, and there's shame. Now, guilt is about the wrong things I did. I take something that doesn't belong to me, I feel guilt, I did something wrong. Shame is a little bit different. Shame says there's something wrong with me. So we have guilt about the wrong things I did, whereas shame says there's something wrong with me. Now, guilt, we look at and we can well, we can deal with guilt because guilt, you do something wrong, you confess it, there's forgiveness, there's reconciliation, that's all fixed. But what about when you feel like there's something wrong with you? When you feel inadequate, when you feel dirty, when you feel used, when you feel whatever those feelings are that aren't quite right. And shame is this experience where sometimes we aren't able to name it. We're not able to identify that as shame. But... I was listening to one psychologist and he was talking about shame and he's saying there's almost a universal language for shame. And that universal language looks or appears like when someone kind of looks down in a way, right? It's that sense of you don't want to be seen. It goes along with guilt, but particularly with shame, the sense of like hiding because you want to hide your face, you don't want to experience. And shame also oftentimes is also being ostracized. So when someone commits something shameful, and this is true particularly in Eastern societies versus Western societies, is there's a sense of shame, is there's a sense of being ostracized, of being pushed out, of not being welcome into the community. And so we can experience that same sort of shame as we look at ourselves. And we start, what we start to do is, if I have one of those weeks where I haven't been living the Jesus life like I want to, or like I should, or what I think I ought to, and all that kind of language, I start to feel bad about myself. I start to feel disappointed in myself. And what I then do is I project that up to God, and I begin to think, well, I don't know if I really love myself anymore. And so I then begin to doubt, does God really still love me? And so this shame, I feel like these things I've done I start to wonder, have they separated me from the love of God that's in Jesus Christ? But what Paul is inviting us to do is remember that all that God has done and will do through Jesus. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he took away not only our guilt, but also our shame. Because the Roman execution was one of the most, the crucifixion was one of the most shameful ways of being executed. I mean, it was a display. It wasn't used for Roman citizens. It was only used for the lowest. And Roman authors would barely even write about crucifixion because it was seen as so shameful. Hanging naked on a cross, displayed for all to see in all your agony. And so Jesus enters into that shame and takes away our shame. So when we start to feel like those are the things that separate us from God, when we start to project onto God our feelings about ourselves. We begin to wonder, is this separating me from the love of God? Paul's saying no. Because what can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. What can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. The love of God, and he says it two different ways. He says the love of Christ, or the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That this love, remember back, it goes back to. Romans 5, 8, that other place where love shows up. For this is how God demonstrates his love for us. That while we were yet sinners, in other words, before we cleaned ourselves up, before we got everything right, because we don't. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the love of God. And he's saying, so if your sin can't separate you, if famine can't separate you, if hardships can't... If the angels, the powers, all these things can't separate you, certainly your shame can't separate you from the love of God. And so what he's closing this section of the thing to do is when we start to wonder about that, when we start to doubt, when we start to question and see, does God really love me? Is there anything that can break that love? I mean, I know Jesus died a long time ago and God showed his love in that, but what about right now? What about these things that I'm going through? What about these things that I've done? What about all that I'm experiencing? What about these hardships? Does that mean that I've been separated from the love of God? And Paul's saying no. Our view of ourselves can't separate us. He's saying that none of these things can. Can trouble? No. Can hardship? No. Can persecution, famine, nakedness, or so? None of those things can separate you from the love of God. Not death. Not life. Not angels, not demons, not the present nor the future, not any power, not height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. Does anything get left out of that? No, he says nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not abuse, not bombings, not cancer, not divorce, not evictions, not flood, not governments, not homelessness, not infertility, not judicial overreach, not the killing of innocents, not layoffs, miscarriage, nightmares, operations, pandemics. Questions of life, racism, shootings, terrorism, unemployment, violence at home, war, xenophobia, your shame or zealotry in politics. None of that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's the good news for us to hear today, people. That God loves you and nothing, nothing can separate us from that.